Chapter 1, Wayfair welcomes you to the Waberhood. Our hero, Titus Burgess, ambled down the stylish street of an enchanting utopia. A woman waved from a chic lounger. Welcome to the Waberhood, she said, where Wayfair helps everyone create a home they love. Titus stared in awe. Bohemian Boulevard, Trinsetter Terrace, Mid-Century Circle. Titus, hmm? you're reading the Wayfair catalog. Oh, you'll love Chapter 2. Wayfair's fast and free shipping saves a potluck. Wayfair, every style, every home. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. One of these birds could rip your face off. I mean, they have powerful claws, and they're strong. And the lead bird got within about 10 feet of me before it went up and over the roof of the house. But in about a half a second, we looked each other straight in the eye. It was an incredible kind of communication. And after the bird had flown over the house, I was in tears. I was shaking. I think that that look was almost like they were talking to me. They were telling me that we're kindred spirits. We've shared this land together. That's Alan Lightman. He's a physicist who's firmly rooted in the belief that all things in the universe can be explained in terms of matter without the need to invoke a god or spirits. But experiences like his encounter with an adolescent osprey, moments that seemed beyond rational explanation, have led him to write a book called The Transcendent Brain, Spirituality in the Age of Science. This is going to be great talking with you because... You're such an unusual and intriguing person. Not only are you a highly respected scientist, you're a very successful novelist. Those, those two things don't usually go together. Well, thank you. I think you're, you're pretty unusual as well. <laughs> well, then this should be a great conversation. <laughs> the other thing that's intriguing is, along with your expertise about black holes and what goes on in them and outside them and other really dense phenomena, You're very intrigued and interested in the transcendent experience. And I'd like to know more about how you view that. The great example of the transcendent experience that you've had is where you live on an island off the coast of Maine. Is that right? That's right. So you you can only get to your island by boat. That's, That's right. And one night you were on the boat and you were alone. And what happened? Well, it was, it was after midnight and I was, uh, coming back to the island and uh, it was a very clear night and the stars were out and I decided to to turn off the engine of the boat so it got very quiet and I also turned off the running lights of the boat so uh, it got dark uh, other than the the gleaming stars and I just laid out in the boat and, and looked up at the sky and uh, after a few moments, I felt like I was falling into infinity. Uh, I, I lost all track of my body and lost track of myself and just felt like I was 
merging with something much larger than myself. It's an interesting expression that you were falling into infinity because you were looking up at the stars. I think in, in that experience and in other transcendent experiences that, that we lose track of our bodies. Uh. So when when I say that I felt like I was falling into infinity, uh, I didn't quite feel like my, my body was, was moving, but that some part of my consciousness was was going out to, to great distances uh, and mingling with the stars. So let me understand a little bit about transcendence. You're a materialist, right? I've read that it's very important to you that everything in the universe is some form of matter. Yes. So are these experiences outside the realm of matter or are they within it? No, I think they're within the realm of matter. And I think that the brain and the mind are the same thing. Apart with uh, Descartes on that issue, I think that all of our experiences and, and especially our mental experiences all originate within the, the 100 billion neurons inside of our brains. But I think that, that our the human brain is capable of extraordinary uh, activities and experiences. Appreciation of beauty, making art, writing poetry, uh, developing the theory of relativity, all of that uh, comes out of the, the human brain. So transcendence doesn't mean transcending the laws of nature. No. What does it transcend? It transcends the self. Ah, because when you're having one of those experiences, it's not in relation to what I call I. Yeah, you lose sense of your I, you lose sense of your ego, and uh, I think that, that in many and maybe all creative activities, we also lose sense of self. For thousands of years, people have been reporting on these experiences, and they've always tied them, they've always attributed them to God or the soul. And you present a lot of evidence from thinkers way back that you can derive a source for these experiences that isn't supernatural. Yes. So you've really examined the, the notion of the soul, I think. And for you, the soul seems to represent a hunger for the permanent and the perfect. Yes. I think that's a, bit, a big motivation behind belief in the soul, soul belief in uh, heaven, belief in God. I think it's, it's trying to come to terms with our mortality in some way. So the soul gives you a chance not to be mortal. Yes, it does. Now, it's funny because you say in the book, right around when you're talking about this, that you don't need the soul because mathematics replaces your hunger for permanence and perfection. Does mathematics make you immortal? Well, that's just for me. <laughs> um, well, I think that the, the endeavor of science... Uh, and the endeavor of mathematics gives us a kind of immortality because there, there are truths that we find that will last much longer than our individual lifetimes. So it's, it's an immortality of the human species, you know, not individual people. Right. And, and I, do, I do think that we're part of a, a, a long chain of being where we're connected to people that live before us, who are connected to people who live before them, and so on. So 
Where does it come from? Spirituality, these experiences that are transcendent, where are they coming from if they're not coming from the soul? Well, I, I think that these experiences, feeling connected to things larger than ourselves, uh, appreciation of beauty, I think that, that either they had survival benefit in our evolutionary history or they are byproducts of other traits that had survival benefit. Uh, for example, our, our feeling connection to nature, which is one experience that I associate with spirituality. If you go back into our evolutionary past, uh, we didn't live in brick and steel and glass buildings. We lived out in the open. We lived in caves. Uh, we experienced the night sky and we had to be tuned in to the rhythm of nature in order to survive. Uh, for example, uh, habitat selection, the, the place that we true choose to live. If you pick the right place, you're protected from predators, you're, you're near food supplies, you're near water, uh, you, you understand how the, 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 the weather is going to change. And so a sensitivity to nature would have had a very large survival benefit. And I think that, that if we, you know, jump forward uh, 300,000 years to today, that our feeling and connection to nature is tapping into something that is, is that has been hardwired into our brains hundreds of thousands of years ago uh, to have survival benefit. So much so, am I wrong about this? I think I've read about studies that show that an appreciation or even the the presence in nature improves your sense of happiness and well-being and even improves your health. Yes, that's right. Now, how is that connected? Help me out again. How is that connected to the transcendent experience? Well, the experience that I had in the boat, for example, or the experience of communing with a wild animal, I think represents our connection to nature. Uh, walking outside in the forest, um, hopefully without your, your smartphone with you. <laughs> Looking for a cell tower. Right. I think that our brains evolved to have an appreciation of nature so that we feel satisfied, we feel complete, we feel restored when we have experiences in nature. You mentioned um, connecting with wild animal. You had, you had another experience you mentioned in the book with a bird. With an osprey, yes. My wife and I uh, spent our summers on a small island, and there was an osprey's nest not far from our house. And instead of watching television, we just looked out the window and looked at the osprey's nest all day. <laughs> so we, we got to know the habits of these ospreys. And uh, one summer, at the end of the summer, August, the, 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 the babies of that season, or I call them adolescents by that time, because they're pretty big birds, they were ready to take their first flight. And until that time, throughout the summer, they had stayed in the nest, unable to escape. But I've been looking at them from my uh, second floor deck, which is, is circular in shape. So the birds were looking at me as I was looking at them. And, and to them, it must have looked like I was in my own nest because I was on a circular deck about nest high. And so we've been looking at each other all summer, these, these growing babies now large adolescents, and on the day that they took their maiden flight, 
There were two of them. They did this this big circle out over the ocean and then headed straight for me. <laughs> and one of these birds could rip your face off. I mean, they have powerful claws and they're strong. And they, they headed straight for me. And uh, my, my immediate instinct was to, to run back in the house for cover. Uh, but uh, something made me stay in my ground and the lead bird got within about 10 feet of me very, very close before it did this this high G vertical climb and went up and over the roof of the house. But in about uh, a half a second before it made that that veering turn, we looked each other straight in the eye. It it was an incredible kind of communication. And and after the bird, the two birds had flown over the house, I, I realized that I was in tears. I can I, I could I, imagine being in tears seconds before that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, I was shaking. I think that that look that they were telling me it was almost like they were talking to me. They were they were telling me that that we're kindred spirits. We've shared this land together. That's a hell of a way to say it. <laughs> But tell me, tell me about how this emerges, the ability to have these experiences, to experience this kind of a spirituality. How does it emerge from matter? Well, I, don't, I can't fill in all of the blanks there. Um, you, you can ask, how does consciousness emerge from matter? You know, how do 100 billion neurons, each one connected to 1,000 other neurons, how does it produce this unique, overwhelming experience that we call consciousness of being present in the world, of having an ego, of, of being able to plan for the future, of, of self-awareness. How, how does that emerge? And most neuroscientists, probably all neuroscientists, are convinced that, that, that consciousness originates in the brain, and we know some things about uh, consciousness, like how we pay attention t- to things when all the neurons start firing in synchrony. But but there are a lot of missing steps that we still haven't filled in. And I think that uh, the, the transcendent experiences, spiritual experiences, other intense experiences are j- just uh, magnificent manifestations of consciousness. Is the idea that when you get that much complexity, something is liable to emerge that you can't, you can't figure out in advance. You can't say if we put all these elements together, yes. you're going to get this property. Yes. For probably 20 or 30 years, scientists have been talking about something that we call emergent phenomena, which is exactly what you said. They're complex systems of many parts whose overall behavior cannot be predicted on the, on the basis of individual parts. And we have simple examples of, of emergent phenomena like fireflies. There's a certain species of fireflies that when they gather together on, on, in a field on a summer night, at first they're, they're all blinking randomly uh, and at random times. But after a few moments, they all start blinking in synchrony. Hmm. And, and 
you, you can understand how a, an individual firefly works. You, you can take it apart and understand how it creates light and, and bioluminescence and so on. But looking at an individual firefly doesn't give you a clue about how a group of fireflies can can start blinking in synchrony. Right. And of course, the human brain is, is far more complex than, than a few fireflies. It's like we have 100 billion fireflies in our head. I know I do. <laughs> so one of the sources of this ability to have transcendent experiences, one is the primal affinity for nature that you were talking about. And you mentioned the book, A Fundamental Need for Cooperation. Yes. Tell me about that. Because we, we're, we're very cooperative. We are. But I notice we're mainly cooperative with each other when we're at war with another bunch of us. Yeah, that's, that's an unfortunate aspect of human nature. Uh, but if we go back into our evolutionary history a few hundred thousand years ago and earlier, we, we lived in caves and there was danger outside the cave, uh, always predators. And you, you, you really had to cooperate with other people in your cave. You, you, you had to work together. The, uh, the hunter-gatherers went out of the cave to hunt for food. Others stayed in the cave and kept the fire going and took care of the babies. And, and so you really needed to depend on each other. If you were separated from the group, it, it meant almost certain death. And so I think that this is another example where a certain trait that we have, um, I think a, a very positive trait, uh, was uh, hardwired into our brains uh, by uh, having survival benefit in our evolutionary history. But I think there's something more to add to this question you asked earlier about how, how do we have these uh, transcendent experiences. Um, Besides the fact that, 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 that there's uh, a certain propensity to these experiences that have been hardwired in the brain, I think we have to be open to these experiences. Um, th there's a, a Hindu word called uh, darshan, which uh, loosely means uh, being open to the divine. And the divine doesn't have to mean God, or, or it could be. It, it could mean anything that's beyond yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that, that, that some people are more open to these kinds of transcendent experiences than others. And I think that's part of the propensity uh, to sort of be willing to give yourself over to these experiences, which may not be completely understood. When we come back from our break, Alan Lightman tells me about ways each of us can encourage our own spirituality. Just a reminder that Clear and Vivid is nonprofit, with everything after expenses going to the Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. Both the show and the center are dedicated to improving the way we connect with each other and all the ways that influence our lives. You can help by becoming a patron of Clear and Vivid at patreon.com. At the highest tier, you can join a monthly chat with me and other patrons, and I'll even record a voicemail message for you. 
either a polite, dignified message from me explaining your inability to come to the phone, or a slightly snarky one where I explain you have no interest in talking with anyone at the moment. I'm, I'm happy to report that the snarky one is by far more popular. If you'd like to help keep the conversation going about connecting and communicating, join us at patreon.com slash clearandvivid. P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash clearandvivid. And thank you. Your Space Coast vacation is preparing for liftoff. Start counting down now. Ten, nine, eight, seven. It's time for a beach vacay that feels like heaven. Six, five, four. Come explore Melbourne and the beaches. Three, two, one. It's time for some rocket-filled fun. Count down to your best beach vacation ever on Florida's Space Coast. Launch your planning now at visitspacecoast.com. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. This is Clear and Vivid. And now back to my conversation with Alan Lightman. You mentioned that one of the sources of the transcendent experience or spirituality might be a way to cope with our knowledge of our impending death. What would be an example of that? Well, I think that when we feel part of something larger than ourselves, that we are going beyond or transcending our individual human lifetimes. And I think, you know, my lying in the boat uh, that night in Maine and feeling like I was part of the stars was such an experience where uh, I was, well, first of all, I lost track of my ego myself, but also I felt like I was merging with something larger than myself, something that, that lasts a very long time. Now, unfortunately, we modern science has found out that stars are not immortal either, that they, they burn up. <laughs> right. <laughs> Everything has a death, apparently. Everything has to pay the, the debt of, of existence. That's right. But we do keep coming up with serious theories about the possibility of endless universes. We do. And, and it may be that deep down, a little bit of the motivation for that is not just the mathematical equations, but this, this deep-seated desire to, 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 to last a long time. Um, I do think that, that, that coping with our mortality is, is probably the major driving force of civilization. There was uh, a book written in the early 1970s called uh, The Denial of Death by by a, an anthropologist named Ernest Becker. It won the Pulitzer Prize. And, and Becker claims in that book, and he has a lot of evidence to support it, that, that all of our civilization, all of our institutions, our, our government, our science, our art, Everything that we create is in some way a desire to deal with our mortality. Mm. You mentioned, the, I believe, the Hindu word Dark. for making yourself, yeah, making yourself available to 
the divine or, or right. something like it. How do you do that? How do you encourage this spirituality? Are there practical ways to do it? Well, I think that that each each of us has to to find our own way that 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 fits with our individual lifestyles. But but what I do is I try to take a lot of walks outside when I'm by myself. Uh, I intentionally leave my smartphone back at home, which can be a great distraction. Uh, and I try to be present. Now, I don't succeed at all of these things. I, I, I try to do them. Um, but um, I try to be present, uh, the, the Buddhist concept of mindfulness, of just being aware of your surroundings and, and not just going over your to-do list mentally in your head or, or thinking what you have to do tomorrow, but, but really trying to be present uh, and just taking in everything that's around you, all of the sights, the sounds, the smells. It's easier said than done. Uh, especially in, in the world that we live in today with the high-speed communication devices, and we're always uh, connected to the grid 24-7. We, we've invented a lot of wonderful things, but many of them take us out of ourself um, and uh, destroy the, the, the ability to just be present and, and just be where you are at the time that you are and just experience what you're experiencing. Uh, when when he, we're walking in the woods and talking on our smartphone, we've taken ourselves away from the scene. Mm. We're, we're somewhere else. We're not walking through the woods anymore, and uh, we're not being present. So so these are some things that I think that, that we can do uh, to try to be more available to the divine or to the transcendent moments. I think I've experienced something like what you're talking about mainly when i when i write or when i act when the right word comes to you or the right sentence structure comes to you yeah you think where did that come from yes i wasn't here for that yes exactly uh and i think that that writers of fiction what they try to do which is closely related to what you said, is they try to get out of the way of their characters. Mm. Instead of telling their characters what to say, they, they listen to their characters. When COVID started, I had trouble getting to sleep for a few nights because I heard two characters talking in the back of my head. And they were so, it was so vivid and interesting, I wrote it down the next day. And the next night, they continued talking. I wrote it down. I mean, it got so got so intense that one night if I missed, they were liable to say, "Where were you? We missed you last night." <laughs> so, did that become part of a, a book that you wrote? No, it was a, a one act play. That when, sometimes uh-huh. when I read it, I think this is pretty good, and sometimes I think, "Where did this come from?" Yeah, yeah. Well, it is amazing that writers of of fiction or plays that they do wonder where things come from and. They invent characters, but then the characters take on a life of their own. It's and hard if you're plotting something because it is. the plot gets in the way of the characters. And the characters behave more like life, and life doesn't plot. That, that's right. And, and uh, a very good literary critic once told me that, that, that there are too many novelists that, that plot out their novels in advance. Uh, 
if you plot out your novel in advance, the characters will never come alive because they're just puppets on strings. Right. You have to give your characters uh, room to surprise you. Uh, even though you're the writer, you, you, you want to be surprised. <laughs> A great novelist told me once that she gets sick of the book about two-thirds of the way through. <laughs> maybe that's the time when the characters need to surprise you. <laughs> yes. The creative transcendent experience, I think, is what we're talking about. Yes. You discover something that you didn't know before. It, it happens with you in science as well, I take it. it. It does. And is it a different experience from when you're writing a novel, or is it similar? Well, there, there are similarities and differences. Um, the similarities are that you lose sense of yourself, you lose sense of where you are and who you are, and you just get into the zone. Um, and it's a beautiful experience, both in science and art uh, and writing. Uh, this creative experience is, 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 is beautiful. It's very fulfilling. Um, one of the differences is that in science, you're almost always working on a question that you know has an answer. Mm. It, it might take five years or 10 years to find the answer. But not so with some stories. Not so with some stories. I mean, good characters don't have answers. Uh, <laughs> in fact, once you, if you ever figure out a character totally, the character's dead. I, you know, so I've found that it's fun. The most successful characters I've come up with in, in, in screenplays are characters I've given five traits to. I found that they're like five parts of different people. And some of those parts are contradictory. Yes, well, real people are contradictory. Uh, and, you know, if, you, if you're reading a novel or watching a play or a film, and every action of a character is, is totally predictable and rational, the character doesn't seem real to you. Right. Because real, real people don't behave like that. Exactly. You know, I'm wondering when you talk about the transcendent experience making you feel part of something bigger than yourself, I wondered about the connection between that aspect of the experience for you and the organization you formed. Is it called Harpswell? Yes. Where you help out with female scientists in Asia, is that right? It had an interesting beginning, and I wonder if underlying that beginning was... This, this sense of togetherness you've, you, you've felt so vividly? Well, some of the women become scientists, but uh, they become lawyers and doctors and huh. uh, all, all kinds of things. Um, there were students at Cambodia, um, and what I learned in my first visit to Cambodia uh, around 2003 was that uh, female students going to university have a, have a terrible obstacle uh, there's no housing for female students. And so unless you're, uh, most of the universities in Cambodia are in the capital city in Phnom Penh. And unless you have a relative living in Phnom Penh and you're female, you're sort of out of luck. So um, I uh, helped build some dormitories for female students. And then we developed uh, an in-house 
academic program in critical thinking and leadership, uh, which includes students who are majoring in, in science and law, uh, medicine, uh, political science, literature, everything. Uh, so it didn't start with science, but we certainly have some science students there. And, and now we have about uh, almost 15 years of graduates of that program. Oh, that's, that's great. Doing all kinds of wonderful things. Well, you may not see a direct connection between the transcendent experience and that great work you're doing, but I'm going to posit that there is a connection. <laughs> And that in, feeling outside of yourself and not related to the eye sounds like it has a pretty good effect. Yeah. It doesn't well, hurt anyway. Well, thank you. Well, I think all of us who are involved in, in uh, philanthropic or charitable work know that, that there's a greater pleasure in giving than in receiving. Right. And, and so it certainly is a very fulfilling experience. Well, our time for conversations coming to a close, but we always end our show with seven quick questions. They're roughly to do with communication. Are you game for that? They're, they're sure. the harmless questions. Sure. Of all the things you could understand, what do you wish you really understood? Consciousness. Uh, nobody can explain that, really. No one has, has explained it yet. Okay, how do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? Well, that's a great question for today's political environment. <laughs> um, well, I would say uh, you have to present them with evidence mm. and, and, and do that respectfully. And they have to be willing to accept it as evidence. <laughs> well, you can't force them to accept evidence, but I think that, that that's the best you can do is, right. is give them evidence. Right. Okay. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? The strangest? Yeah. Um, what do I wear when I go to sleep at night? <laughs> that may be the strangest question I've heard yet. And I hope you don't ask me that question. No, I'm not even going to go into it with you. I don't, I don't care who asks you. How do you stop a compulsive talker? Oh, that's a, that's another great question. I leave the room. <laughs> Can you actually get away with that? <laughs> if they're compulsive enough, they won't notice. I've left the room at, at, at parties that I've given myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's say you're at a dinner table and you're sitting next to someone you don't know, you've never met before. How do you start up a genuine conversation? I usually ask them what, what they're interested in. Oh. Um, I, I learned a long time ago not to ask people what kind of work they do. Uh, it, uh, because it, it sort of assumes a certain framework and context. And, and sometimes it puts, you know, people, uh, it, it puts them on guard. But, but I think that everybody has interests. And so I ask them what they're interested in. I might ask them, you know, do they have children after that or, do they see the last Red Sox game or something like that? But I usually start with what, what they're interested in. Right. After the Red Sox game, you say, there must be something you're interested in. <laughs> <laughs> if not, pass the salt. <laughs> okay, last question. What book changed your life? Oh, that's a, a great question. 
but I have I, I know the answer to that question. It was a book by the Italian writer Italo Calvino, who wrote a, a beautiful little book called Invisible Cities, and it's about some 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 fictitious cities that Kublai Khan in uh, his empire, when he was consolidating his empire, he sent out Marco Polo to travel to all of the cities in Khan's empire and report back to him. And the book is a lot of short chapters with beautiful descriptions of the cities. And I read that book uh, many years ago, and I think that it was very influential in my writing one of my books uh, called Einstein's Dreams. Mm. And uh, uh, so I, I credit uh, that book and Italo Calvino, which with with having been uh, very influential for me as a writer. That's great, great. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for taking the time. I, I have to, Alan, and I'm, I'm honored that you invited me to be on your program. I'm honored that you accepted. Thank you, Alan. This has been clear and vivid, at least I hope so. My thanks to the sponsor of this podcast and to all of you who support our show on Patreon. You keep Clear and Vivid up and running. And after we pay expenses, whatever is left over goes to the Alda Center for Communicating Science at Stony Brook University. So your support is contributing to the better communication of science. We're very grateful. Alan Lightman is professor of the practice of the humanities at MIT. As well as his contributions to astrophysics, he's a novelist. His best-known book, Einstein's Dreams, has been translated into over 30 languages. The book we discussed is The Transcendence Brain, Spirituality in the Age of Science. He's also the host of the new PBS series called Searching, Our Quest for Meaning in the Age of Science. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth Ohaney, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Next in our series of conversations, I talk with Aomawa Shields, a career that's toggled back and forth between science and acting, has led her to being not only a professor of astronomy, but also an expert communicator. Her new book, Life on Other Planets, is the wonderfully readable story of keeping her two passions in balance. You know, I tried to make my, my home in astronomy at MIT and in the sciences, and there was something missing. It's like a dream never goes away. It just, if you leave it, it's still on the side of the road. As I say in my book, you know, it's, it was lying on the side of the road somewhere and I was down the highway and eventually it caught up with me, you know? <laughs> and it was like, hey, what about me? You know, you know that acting thing? You, don't you still love me? You know, and, and the answer was yes. Aomawa Shields, actor and scientist, next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, 
please visit alanalder.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alder. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. The National Women's Soccer League kicks off March 16th on ION. Out in front to Williams. It's a new Saturday night destination featuring the best players in the world. See the full schedule and find where to watch at IonNWSL.com. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by state room category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.